Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Commercial Property Investor Podcast, where it's my job to introduce you to people from the world of commercial property. We're talking with investors and thought leaders about their experiences of the commercial property world and sharing our own lessons from the last 20 years to give you practical know-how so that you can follow in their footsteps. If you've ever thought commercial could be your next step, but it just seems too confusing and opaque, then you've come to the right place. There are so many exciting opportunities in this dynamic sector, and I'm looking forward to pulling back the curtain and sharing them with you. Welcome to the Commercial Property Investor Podcast, and I'm your host, Jerry Alexander. This show is all about commercial property investing for the private investor. Whether you're just getting started or scaling up your portfolio, through interviews, tips and lessons learned along the way, we want to give you the inspiration, knowledge and confidence to enjoy this great cash flowing strategy. Hello, hello, welcome back to the podcast. So I'm back home. I've come back from our sunny trip away to the Mediterranean. It was a great 10 days really hot, like 40 degrees um, on a number of the days. But it was a good time with the family. We did a few different activities, which was good fun too. Um, but when you get back from these breaks, what happens? Everything goes busy, busy, doesn't it? So as you can imagine, there's been lots of things going on since I got back. Um, some of the highlights for me have been working with some consultancy clients who are out buying properties, which is always exciting, having a look at different properties. And over this weekend, just been... I was with a great group of investors chatting about commercial property. Now, some of these investors you'll know because they've been guests on the show, which has been great. So thanks, guys. It was a super couple of days. We don't always talk about commercial property, though. That was just the focus this time. We might talk about buy-to-let or service accommodation, but generally focused around property. And it's really great having a peer-to-peer group because it helps in motivation, belief, idea generation, people are working on different types of projects and they maybe bring in and discuss something that they've looked at and they think, well, what do you think about this as a strategy? And it opens up your thinking when you're looking at other buildings and maybe even some of the buildings you've looked at before that you didn't think about that particular strategy. So exposing yourself to those um, different ideas is great. And of course, um, connections and finance ideas and all that lovely stuff. But it also challenges me in my thinking And I think it's really important, to me anyway, to keep going back to the table, to continue recharging and expanding my thinking. Because it's all very well getting motivation and, I guess, inspiration, which are vitally important. But it's all the other stuff. It's the self-belief, the underlying self-belief, the expectation you get when you're working with other people that are out there doing it. I just think that's really energising. And you've really got to think about what motivates you and keep yourself exposed to it. I think it's really important. So sometimes it's important to get focused, though, with someone in particular. And this is really what I want to talk about in this podcast, about maybe choosing a person, individual, a guide that's going to help you, who understands your motivations, your goals, and, of course, your limitations. Most of those tend to be in the head, of course. And and it's a bit more than the peer-to-peer situation. I'm really talking about a mentor or a guide. And I want to explore that on this episode. It came up actually in a conversation today when I was out viewing some commercial properties with a client. They've lots going on just now, including another two commercial deals, which they'll just be getting the keys for soon. So really exciting times. And we were out looking at potential layouts, 
customer types, what the offer could be, how much to spend on repairs, the local market, roofing options, all these different things, um, which I, I really love discussing these things. But mentorship, coming back to that, is a really interesting subject. And it has it brings out polar views, doesn't it? Some people love it. Some people hate it. Some people think it's an absolute rip-off. Some people can't get enough of it. Some people get loads of it, but they never do anything with it. <laughs> and particularly in property circles, right, there's those polar views. And we've discussed that a couple of times with guests on the show, and I'm sure it will come up in conversations in the future too. But being as pragmatic as ever, I think we need to work out what works best for us. And pursue that without prejudice, other people's or our own. This is, of course, not just for property, but any type of business or a skill set that you need support with. We're not just talking about property on this one. So, so let's start with the question, what is a coach or what is a mentor? What's the difference? Bearing in mind that this is my opinion, so for all of those out there who are qualified as coaches or mentors or you've got a life coach hat or a teacher hat sorry but I'm probably going to annoy you with my representations but hey it's my show so (laughs) let's get back to the question what is a coach what is a mentor well one has not done it but has a system to help you and a technique and maybe strategy to achieve your goals the other has done it and has the t-shirt that's more the mentor they did it their way and they can help you get to your goals faster. And they both bring um, different strengths and some weaknesses too, of course. So uh, as we get older, we start to realise, start to recognise that a lot of this comes down to getting other people's opinions and information and trying getting obviously more fact than anything else and then coming to our own conclusion. That's really important. But I've had um, mentors for different things. I've had a commercial property mentor. In fact, I still have a commercial property mentor, a marketing mentor, a general business mentor, and even uh, things like university course. I did a marketing course at university when I was in my 40s. It wasn't wasn't like a post-grad or anything. It was just a course there specifically for business. It cost thousands. But we need to keep learning. And once I finish one, it's right. What's next? So, and the commercial property mentor has been really helpful for me, especially during the transition from maybe one or two sites to multi-locations. And the gentleman I've been working with over the years has been a really good sounding board. We don't speak every week or every month. Sometimes it's six months. It's usually when I'm looking at another deal and I need to sound check. And I'll go to David, that's his name. I'll go to David and say, right, David, here's the numbers. Here's the property. What do you think? And he's really down to earth. He's very successful in commercial property. And he will give give me a very pragmatic viewpoint. Um, and I've just really enjoyed that. And the fact that he's always been pretty upfront with me, pretty frank about things, but also encouraging. And I guess from mentorship, it does each person's different what they want out of it, right? So another one was marketing mentor. Um, some of you know I've worked with Rob Moore. Some of you know Rob Moore um, with his marketing mastermind, whatever. And it's been really, really helpful. And working with him on that specific area has been really helpful. But interestingly, a lot of these mentorships and masterminds and things, they do blend over, bleed over to other subject areas, running a business, all these different things, which you get out of them. They're sort of side conversations, aren't they? But anyway... I believe you get what you pay for. 
Sometimes you might be lucky and find someone who's in that stage of life where they want to give back, they really like you, whatever it is, and they give you value. But I've also had a general business mentor which came through um, kind of local funding, uh, kind of government and um, scheme, shall we say, for want of a better word. And that didn't work out so well. It just didn't work out so well. It didn't quite have the experience, didn't quite gel, and there was nothing paid for. And I, I do think actually it's pretty important from both sides that there's a value exchange there. Now, cards on the table. Obviously, I've got to a stage in my life where I am now mentoring people. So I have learned from both sides of the coin. As I say, I've, I've been a mentee and still am in some scenarios and worked through masterminds. But equally, I've been supporting and helping other investors. But this podcast, this episode is not about me as a mentor. This is about your choice and my choice as to who we might choose for future mentors, whether that be in property or business or life skills or hobbies or whatever. It's all the same thing. It's learning from someone who's done it. I want to talk to you about what you can do to find out if a potential mentor is a good fit for you. And for me, there's two important strands here. The first thing is, can you work with them? What's their personality like? Can you work with that personality? And I think what's probably even more important than that is respect. Do you respect them? So, sure, will you get on with them? That really helps. But I don't think you have to like them necessarily. It does help. You obviously don't you don't want to despise them. <laughs> but the respect is a critical factor. And it's a two-way street. It can't be one way. There needs to be respect both ways. And the second strand for me is, are they genuine? This is the whole due diligence bit, that piece that can take up um, a lot of time and the bit that we maybe worry about. So I've just got some things here that I'm going to go through on the due diligence part. To be fair, it's due diligence heavy, this this conversation, but just nipping back to the can you work with them. In in terms of that, you need to have a one-to-one conversation with them. That's what I believe. And if that's not possible until you've signed up, then that should ring alarm bells straight away. This should be seen as a big commitment for you and for them. So if they're not even going to talk to you until you've paid them some money, I think that you should be a bit wary of that. Now, I appreciate if you're a super duper coach or a mentor with very, very limited time, because at the end of the day, that's how this thing works. You're effectively swapping time, selling time, however you want to put it. And we do only have 24 hours. So... There will be some mentors who need you to make some sort of commitment up front. And I appreciate that. So it's all relative. But I do think if somebody's saying to you, I'm not going to have any, I'm not going to discuss with you anything until you've signed up to the full thing, then that maybe means that they're not necessarily so committed to you. They're asking for a commitment from you, of course, which is fine. But I do think you need to talk to them first because then you're going to get to know about that first part, the respect, the the personality piece, and that sort of thing. But also you get to ask them questions. And this is more to do with the due diligence, but the second part. So what is their track record, really? In their chosen subject, whether that be property or business or marketing, whatever it is, what is their track record? Because there's a difference between what they say and what they've really done. And I know you've heard that probably on other podcasts and other people talking about this sort of thing. But it's up to you to go and work that out. Have they done one deal, a super great deal, but only one deal? Have they done multiple deals, but 
um, no, no, but sorry, they've done multiple deals and they're in different areas and there's a much wider spread. In other words, more opportunities to make a cock up, <laughs> right? If it's one project, it might have worked out well and there might have been a bit of luck there. So really just check out what is their track record, really. Second one I've got down here is, is not critical that they're doing it right now. Some people, and, and when I was out today, the discussion was around, well, really it would be good if they were a mentor needs to be out there doing it as well, in the trenches too. And I do certainly agree to that to an extent. However, there are some very successful business people who sold up and then they move on to being a coach or they might become a non-executive or a chairman or a chairwoman. If you love to travel like me and you understand the power in escaping the money for time exchange trap, but you just don't know how to do it, then building an Airbnb consultancy business could be exactly what you have been looking for. Right now in the UK, there is a completely untapped opportunity through helping struggling Airbnb hosts by turning around their underperforming properties and generating you huge commission payments in the process. We are going to teach you all of the tools and all of the techniques that we've learned over the last five years through building our very own multiple six-figure Airbnb business, arming you with everything that you need to swoop in and save the day. Minimal startup costs, zero risk, and almost unlimited potential. Sound good? Welcome to the Airbnb Consultant. Contact us through any of the channels included in the studio notes to get the conversation started. And they mentor the chief executive, for instance, in the business. And I just think that completely saying, oh, I'm not going to work with somebody because they're not doing anything in that field right now is maybe not quite the right thing. However, it's critical they've done it a few times, particularly with property. But also, I think, with business, to rule out that lucky break, that they didn't just get lucky once, that they've managed to repeat it. I think that's really important. They need to be serial investors or... Um, business starters, whatever the particular subject area that is you're needing help with. Next, seek out what that track tra record is with students or mentees. So, are there any successes, and more importantly, people, that you can talk to about it? And don't just get the names, and that's it, and think, yeah, all right, there's some people that managed to succeed, there's some examples. Actually, have a conversation with them. Okay, sometimes I've been asked in the past, well, Jerry, we'd like to work with you, but can you just give us some numbers of people that work with you so we can just get a flavour of what it's like? And that's perfectly understandable. And I think you should be doing the same thing. Seek out the track record through students and mentees. Not necessarily track record in terms of the business or the property or whatever it is they've been doing, but this is in terms of the track record of actually mentoring people or supporting people. Because they're two different things. The fourth one was check out company's house. And other bona fide resources. <laughs> if it's not company's house, you're not in the UK, then some other, um, it's not necessarily a credit reference, it's more to do with their business. In the UK, we've got company's house. In the US, or maybe a different type of topic, I should know what it is, sorry, forgive me. But it's places to find out about companies, where companies are registered, and you can get quite a lot of data there. I wouldn't totally take that as the only thing because I have heard people before say, well, I've checked out so-and-so online and there's no assets and they've closed down two or three businesses. And then they use that 
as the, not the excuse, but the reason not to work with that person. But they haven't had a conversation with them to actually clarify because a lot of the time through tax reasons or other things, there may be companies on there that you don't, they don't connect to them, but actually they are their companies. There may be some um, activities that have been going on in businesses that aren't registered there because they're not limited companies. So take it with a pinch of salt, but it's a good steer. It's definitely the best steer to start with. Social media is the last one you want to be looking at, right? LinkedIn maybe has its place. I don't think Instagram has its place. I mean, you can get 10,000 followers on Instagram forever you like. I don't think it's the best place. LinkedIn, particularly if it's got recommendations, connections, all that stuff's a bit harder to manufacture. Um, but Companies House is a really good place, as I say. So the next one is listen to what they say. Does it sound too good to be true? <laughs> Do they really have the experience or is it actually a lot of other people's experiences or projects and very few of their own? And that can be difficult to peel back the layers and work that one out. I'm maybe being a bit pessimistic in the way that I'm talking about that. And that might be just me showing my age. <laughs> but I do think that you need to listen to what they're saying and work out whether there's full truth to it and whether there's more layers to it. Sometimes as you get older, you can sniff these things out. But if people are talking about lots and lots of projects, are they their projects or are they somebody else's? So, for instance, earlier on, I was saying that I was out looking at projects today. Well, they weren't mine. They were a mentee's projects. So then there's a difference. And it might be that they're involved in developing out a project. And development skills are fantastic, but they're not. it's not actually their project. So it's just making sure that you understand where the lines are and that they are genuinely doing what they're saying they're doing or have done what they say they've done. And there's nothing wrong with a shorter track record. So there's nothing wrong with somebody only having done one or two projects. But it's the inflated record that you need to sniff out. Somebody's trying to present maybe more than actually is true. I don't, I think finding a mentor that's just a few steps further forward from where you are is actually quite important because it's great for connection to where they are, belief, proximity, relevance to what you're doing. One that's way out in front could actually even be demotivating because they're just a bit too disconnected from where you are right now. Now that's different for everyone. You might have really big ambitions. You want to work with somebody much further ahead, and that's fine. But I'm just saying work out where you need them to be, not where you want them to be. <laughs> there are a lot of egos to contend with, including your own. So keep it in check. What do you, what do you need? Is it somebody that's two or three steps ahead? Is it someone that's two or three miles ahead? You have to work that one out. And that'll be based on your own, oh, lots of things. Let's not get into that. They'll be based on lots of things, right? But remember the old phrase, what you, de sorry, what you do speak so loudly, I can't hear what you say. I often say that to the kids, right? They probably roll their eyes. What you do speak so loudly, I can't hear what you're saying. <laughs> and it's the same when checking out people. It's not so much what they're saying, it's what they're doing that makes the difference. So 
Next one I've got on the list here is ask them if they have any examples of people they've worked with or projects they've done that are similar to what you're trying to do. Now, for that to happen, there needs to be a two-way conversation. You need to have said what you're specifically looking for. And it might be that your area, because let's just pick, um, let's take, let's pick business. So your area of expertise that you're seeking help with is financial. You're not too good at the numbers. You need to be able to get your business into a position where on a weekly or monthly basis, you can get all the numbers on one piece of paper, whether you prepare that or your accountant partner prepares that, and you can understand what it says. Now, going to see a mentor who does marketing is not really going to help you with that. So I think it's important to tell them what you're after and to try and get out of them whether they can help you with it and how they would help you with it. And if they've maybe worked with somebody who's done that specific thing. So moving over to the property world, is it HMO? Is it CMO? Is it buy to let? Is it raising finance? What is the skill set that you're after? And can they give you some examples of people they've done that with or indeed how they would help you? Really important. I've actually got eight things here. So the seventh one is some um, people out there have the real gift of the gab, right? And they can draw you in. There's excitement, there's projects there, there's money, there's possibly slightly the old greed thing coming out. Just keep focused on getting the answers you need and not what they give. Watch out for those circles, those politician circles that work around, don't quite answer the question and come round and round um, and you feel that somehow you've not quite got the answer yet but it seems satisfactory. <laughs> as you get, As I get older, it becomes... Easy to be a bit cynical, which can be a problem, of course. But equally, nobody ever told me when I was younger, I didn't have the life phases to be able to smell things out that maybe I should have. Now, maybe they did tell me, but I didn't listen, which I suspect happens to most of us, of course. But as when you're in those younger years, or certainly talking from my own experience, you can get drawn into exciting new things. And then you start to realise, actually, hold on a minute, life's a series of phases. They come and go. Um, this is another phase. I need to enter with, um, not with caution, I, I enter with more experience each and every time. Let's put it that way. And when you're younger, you maybe just haven't quite got that experience. So just have a listen to some elders. <laughs> Right, finally, the last one. Um, get some professional input, if you can, from people you respect in that relevant industry. Now, what you're asking for here really is their opinion, their reflection. You're trying to get fact from them, really, but you're, you're really asking for what their opinion is on somebody else in the industry. And you need to listen between the lines on this. Some people always want to be polite and would only tell you the good stuff. And others might have an axe to grind or an ego to fill out. So they're so they're either fully polite and yes, oh yes, I think you should work. I think they're okay. Yes, our, yes, our experience has been okay with them. But actually in their mind they're thinking, well, they didn't pay last time I worked with them. Or um, actually they didn't deliver what we wanted. It was pretty poor quality. But, you know, they're a reasonable business. So yeah, I'd probably still recommend them. Or the other person who's got the axe to grind because something happened in the past that they won't explain to you and they're just completely rubbishing that person. So you've got to read between the lines. Maybe get two or three different opinions, I guess, is the important thing. We can all learn from everyone, though. Even at the worst level, we can learn how to not do things. 
Sometimes I've been at talks and the notes I've been taking are about when I do a talk and try not to do what they've been doing, and that's fine. And maybe we learn from people that are possibly not quite what they seemed that maybe we know more than we allowed ourselves to believe. I think there's always stuff to learn from different people. But for me, here are some of the things I need to think about when I'm looking at potential new mentor or, or a combination of stuff, I guess. So firstly, they need to know the topic really well, whatever that skill set is that I'm looking for. And they need to have navigated it countless times before. This is not a coach. This is the mentor. They need to leave the ego outside if possible. I think it's very difficult for people who've been very successful to leave the ego completely outside. And clearly, as a mentee, we definitely need to leave the ego outside. So and I need to have, I would suggest you need to have a really clear set of objectives. Otherwise, you just end up with a random set of conversations, which are costing you money. And that really is your responsibility. And and some mentors or coaches will create a, an accountability there and maybe help you set up some of that framework to start with. But it is important that it's a two-way street. Don't just turn up for a random conversation. Be prescriptive, be focused. And some mentors and coaches will only work with people who are actually prepared to take action and do take action. And you may find that if you're not, that they might find a reason to ask you to go and do something else and come back to them later. I personally need to be challenged and I'm constantly thinking about my context and wanting to, it to be challenged, to think differently if necessary. So for me, they need to really know the, nav- the, the topic really well, navigated it many times. Egos need to be left outside. I need to make sure I've got a clear set of objectives so that we can work through that with conviction and accountability. And I need to be challenged. I need to be ready to be challenged, to made to think differently if necessary, not made, but coached through to thinking differently if necessary. There are also so many other facts to consider, such as getting the right balance between action-taking and thinking things through, or doing exactly as the mentor says, or reflecting on all the information you've gathered and taking an informed decision on your own. I think it's important to become your own man or become your own woman through informed decision-making, rather than maybe following the next thing blindly. After all is said and done, though, Something needs to be done, or it's just a waste of your time, the mentor's time, and your money. Now, whilst we're on the subject of money, how much should you pay? Well, it's all relative. Some people I know have spent hundreds of thousands, others just a few. It depends on what you want out of it and how far you want to go. I've personally spent over five figures, but not six figures. That's going to be down to you. But one mistake or one success can create or lose tens of thousands in a deal or even a move within a deal can cost you or gain you that much. I remember once giving a simple piece of advice after a 10-minute conversation with someone who was just getting started in commercial and that 10-minute conversation saved them £40,000 a year going forward. It was just some simple things they, they didn't know. And I just went through it and like, 
oh, that makes sense. And they start saving £40,000 a year. That could be worth every penny, just that one thing, couldn't it? But we don't know what we don't know. So a mentor can really accelerate your growth by using the experience that they have to, to help speed up the process and to help you avoid pitfalls. And we wouldn't learn how to become doctors, pilots or vets by trial and error. Of course you wouldn't. We would get a mentor. We'd get a teacher to help us through that so we don't fall into those pitfalls and we avoid maybe um, some of the, yes, some of the more delicate things that we need to be good at, but also to speed up the process. So this isn't really about should or should I not get a mentor, I think. I think everybody needs them at different stages for different skills. And if you're serious, then it's really down to choosing the right one. And that's where this checklist comes in. So try and keep the emotion at bay and choose with your head. And as I said earlier, motivation and inspiration is great, but only for a few hours or days. A clear, concise goal, knowledge, accountability and belief will move mountains. So let's just quickly run through that list again. So the first one was, what is their track record? Really, what's their track record in their chosen skill? The second thing is, it's critical that they've done it a few times. Not necessarily doing it right now, but they need to have repeated that process several times to rule out the lucky break. The third one, any successes or people that you can talk to, this is in terms of their uh, mentoring, talk to some of the people they've worked with so that you can actually have a conversation with them to find out how it worked for them. The fourth one is, do your due diligence through Companies House, some other bona fide resources, maybe LinkedIn. Social media is the last place I'd be looking because you can create whatever you like on there. This is just to do a bit of background checks. They're not, things aren't always as transparent as you would hope. And you need to give people the benefit of the doubt. But you might want to ask them that, have that conversation if you're thinking, well, Companies House doesn't quite check out right. Why is that? Fifth one, listen to what they say. Does it sound too good to be true? Do they really have the experience? Or is it actually lots of other people's experiences and projects that they're referring to? And maybe over-referring, i.e. they're not actually really their projects, but they're kind of muddying the waters, so you're not quite sure if they are, if they're not, if they're not, they're not being upfront. There's nothing wrong with talking about other people's projects. That's brilliant, because it shows they've worked with other people. But don't I guess it's that thing about not having an inflated record, just maybe the specifics of what they have done. And as I said earlier on, if it's a short track, if it's a shorter track record, no problem. If there's a few steps ahead of you, they've got things they can offer. The sixth one was, do they have any examples of people they work with or projects they've done that are similar to what you're trying to do? Not just any kind of projects. So you need to be specific with them about this one and you need to have that one-to-one -one conversation and try and draw out of them if they've ever worked with anybody or if they haven't, have they done it themselves? How would they get through the situation that you were talking about? The seventh one, some people have the gift of the gab and they'll draw you in. Just keep focused on getting the answers you need. Be really specific about what you're trying to understand. Park the emotion, listen with your head to try and sift through the rhetoric that you're hearing to work out whether actually this is what it genuinely seems to be. And then the eighth one, finally get some professional input. Find some other people in the industry that you respect 
and listen between the lines of what they say. Because not every recommendation is clear as maybe it should be because people don't want to upset, they may have egos and all that stuff as I mentioned earlier on. So those are the things that I would look out for when looking for a mentor. And I would, just to recap on the other things, I would make sure that I am really specific about what I'm trying to do. I'd make sure that they really knew the topic and they'd navigated it many times. It wasn't just on the outside or the periphery of their experience, but definitely their experience. We need to both leave our egos at the door and I need to be challenged. You need to be ready to be challenged when you go into that environment. So best of luck with that. But before we go, it would be remiss of me, of course, to not say check out the website link in the show notes for our peer-to-peer group because it may be that you prefer to learn in a peer-to-peer situation. And that's not the peer-to-peer group I was just talking about, by the way, at the start of the podcast. That's our inner circle, our advanced peer-to-peer group for commercial property. It's a great place to learn from other people and projects and all that lovely stuff that goes on in those groups. Or it might be that you rather focus in on having a mentor. So I'm, I'm happy to answer any questions. Just ping over a message. There'll be some links there in the show notes and all that sort of thing. Finally, I just want to say thank you to everyone who's reached out recently. It's been quite a review to offer kind words on the podcast and how it's impacted you. Um, I really, really appreciate that feedback. It's fantastic. Thanks. And if any of you have a moment, please take a couple of seconds to just leave a positive review on iTunes. It really helps the visibility for the podcast and it makes my head slightly bigger each and every time. So if you get a chance, please leave a review on iTunes or your relevant platform. Have a great week. Make sure you get in the swim at least once before we catch up again next time. Hi there, I hope you're enjoying the content delivered on the CPI podcast. Even though it's free to listen to, it actually takes quite a bit of time and financial commitment to deliver each and every episode. Did you know that by leaving a positive written review, you, yes, you will have a direct impact on the visibility of the podcast. And that's really important because by reaching a wider audience, it helps our team to continually improve the overall content that we deliver to you week after week. For some of you, leaving a review will be second nature, but for others, it might be your first one. Open your podcast app, pick the CPI podcast and search for previous reviews. And on iTunes in particular, click to look at all of the reviews and then you'll see an option to leave a written review. Go on, it'll only take two minutes and it'll really make our day. And we genuinely read every single one of them.